rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's hard to believe that it's been nearly four years since Andy and I moved down here and began the work of planting Huntersville Lutheran Church. I sat in my office this past week and uh, just reflecting on everything that's happened in the last couple of years, and I'm led to be incredibly thankful to God for, for everything that he's done. He's granted us growth spiritually, so growth in faith. He's granted us growth numerically uh, by the number of people here. He's created us and turned us into this community who not only loves the word of God, but has turned you guys into a, a people who didn't know each other before, but now love and care for each other. And there really has been a ton that has changed. Even as I look out, uh, look out at the congregation today, I think I count one, two, three, four people, five, six. Drew and Christina showed up about halfway through that first year. Um, six people out of however many people are here this morning were here in the beginning. Like that means that we have experienced a great amount of growth since the, since the start. Now, those of you who weren't here in the very beginning, you won't remember this, but those uh, who were part of that original core group, one of the things that you'll probably remember are those initial meetings that we had. And we weren't meeting in Grand Oak Elementary School, where some of you first started worshiping with us, or now in Brick Row. We were meeting <clears throat> in the dining room of my house. And so we'd cram into, oh, sorry, there's seven here. Catherine is here. I just breezed right over her. Um, <clears throat> we were meeting in the dining room of my house, so we'd all cram in there and... Um, We'd study a portion of the Word of God, and then we'd start to plan. And one of the, the things I remember talking about vividly was the opportunity that we had together as this small group of people. And I would talk about it like this, that we had the opportunity as this group of, as this fledgling church to build the kind of church that you've always wanted to belong to, but have never been able to find. And then I would ask this question, what does that look like? What does a church like that look like? And it's from those initial meetings and those conversations that grew our mission and vision, our mission and vision, our mission of connecting Christ and creating community. This vision grew out of that mission that we, we envision this place to be a church where people can be connected to the real Jesus of the Bible. And once they're connected to Jesus can then be connected to one another. And in order to make sure that that mission and vision gets carried out, there's a whole lot that goes on behind the scenes. There's planning. And then there's meetings about planning, and then there's meetings to plan, the meetings where you plan, right? Just so many meetings. Um, but then you have the, the business side of church. You've got the metrics and the finances. You've got the, the people. You've got relationships. You've got classes. You've got facilities. You've got calls and texts and emails. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes to make sure that we are doing what we are supposed to be doing as Huntersville Lutheran Church. And as the people of God and as people who love the Word of God, you know what the primary function of Huntersville Lutheran Church is supposed to be. I mean, it's right there in the first part of our mission statement, Connecting Christ. The Huntersville Lutheran Church is first and foremost to be a place where the Word of God is preached in its truth and purity, where people are connected to Jesus through His Word and through the giving and the reception of His sacraments. This is what the primary function of Huntersville Lutheran Church needs to be. But I wonder if, from time to time, if we as a church and you as individuals, if, we've, if that's always been our primary focus. Or I wonder if there have been times in the life of our church, no matter how short it is, that we've maybe strayed from that primary focus. 
where we've had this misplaced zeal and got, get caught up in the ancillary things that we do as a church, so much so that they end up eclipsing the primary focus of church. Do you think that's happened? I think that's a really important question to ask ourselves as we look at this account from John chapter 2 where Jesus cleans house. Jesus shows up in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, one of these primary uh, festivals that God ordained for his people to celebrate year after year. And when Jesus shows up at the temple, he is completely dismayed by what he sees. Because what he sees is chaos. What he sees is distraction. He walks into the temple and he sees men who are selling sheep and cattle and goats. He sees sitting at tables these men who are exchanging money. And all of this drives Jesus to the brink. Right? What does he do? He, takes a, he makes a whip or fashions a whip out of cords and he drives out not just the animals, but he also drives out the men who are selling the animals. He takes the coins that were sitting on the money changers' table and he whips them across the temple court and then he overturns their tables. He turns to the ones who are selling doves and he says, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? Now hearing what happened, it necessitates asking this question. Was Jesus upset by the presence of those things in the temple? Or was he upset because the presence of those things fundamentally shifted the primary focus of the temple. Now, everything that you heard about, the, the animals and the money changers, all of that, that was all necessary for the carrying out of the Passover celebration. You see, Jerusalem was the religious hub, and so people would come from all over, Jews would come up from all over the, the land at the time, come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and it wasn't always convenient to travel with the animals necessary for sacrifice, or... You didn't have an animal that you needed for sacrifice at your house. Either way, you needed a place to be able to buy them. And if you needed to buy an animal, you couldn't use the, the common Roman coin at the time, a denarius, because a denarius had the face of Caesar on it. And do you know what Caesar said about himself? That he was a god. So it would have been complete blasphemy to buy something in the temple using a coin that had the picture of a face of a guy who said he was a god. So there needed to be people there to exchange blasphemous currency for less blasphemous currency. Jesus isn't upset by the presence of these things in the temple. He's not upset about that at all. What he is upset about is what these things turned the temple into. Does that make sense? He's upset by the, by the way that the temple's primary focus had shifted. Because the primary focus of the temple, it was to be a place where, the, where people could be drawn close to God. It was to be a place where, well, the main function of, it, it, the, of the temple, it was designed after the function of the tabernacle. It was to be God's earthly dwelling place among his people. It was a place where people would come to offer their sacrifices of blood to pay for their sins and therefore be brought into a right relationship with God. The temple was designed to be a house of prayer. It was meant to be a place where the law and the prophets were read for the edification of God's people. It was meant to be a place where through the law and the prophets and through the sacrifices that were offered, people would be pointed ahead to, pointed ahead to what the coming Messiah of God was going to do to offer that once for all sacrifice to pay for their sins and to bring them into that right relationship with God. This is what the temple was supposed to be. And yet when, and this is what I think Jesus expected to find when he went up for the festival of Passover. But instead, what he finds 
what he finds is a well-oiled, profit-making juggernaut. He finds a people who are consumed with zeal, not for a proper worship of God, but consumed with zeal for convenience, for the convenience of being able to buy whatever it is they needed for sacrifice right in the place where they are worshiping. Because that kind of convenience meant you didn't really have to prepare your hearts for the trip that you were about to make to Jerusalem or even prepare for what you were going to do that day. All you needed to do was just have the right amount of money. And those people who were selling doves and sheep and cattle and even the ones who were exchanging money, they weren't consumed with zeal for helping out their fellow Jews worship in the proper sense. They were all consumed by what? By turning a profit. And all of this misplaced zeal led to a complete distraction for what the temple, from what the temple was supposed to be, a place where sinners were brought close to God, where sinners were drawn into the presence of God, and instead, it was just a marketplace. And so Jesus grabs that whip, and he drives everyone out, and he says, how dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? And when the disciples see this rather violent outburst from Jesus, they remember that verse that's written in Psalm 69, zeal for, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, if Jesus showed up in his father's house in Huntersville, I guess more accurately we're located in Cornelius. If Jesus showed up into his fa to his father's house here, what would he find? Would he find a place and a people who are concerned with the primary focus of what church is supposed to be, with the preaching and teaching of the word of God, or would they find a church and a people who are consumed with a misplaced zeal and distracted? Now, I don't think, maybe somebody could correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Huntersville Lutheran is at that point, but I don't think that Jesus needs to come here and stand in our midst and create a whip out of cords and drive us all out and make us rethink all of our church life choices. I don't think he needs to do that. But these words from John chapter 2 and Jesus' actions in John chapter 2 serve as a rather strong warning for us, for us to always make sure that our church is focused on the primary thing that it is supposed to do. And it also serves as a warning for how easy it is for, us, for our zeal, for what the church is supposed to do and what we are supposed to do as the people of God to become misplaced. Right? As a pastor, on a corporate level, if you think high level in church, it's really easy for me and maybe for the members of the steering committee too to get caught up and have a misplaced zeal. Right? I get so caught up in the metrics of church. So um, the number of people who are here on a Sunday morning or the offerings that are given because I have to report those things to my bosses. Um, I get caught up in even just small things, right? Making sure that, that worship, the worship space is set up in such a way that it glorifies God and edifies the people of God. I even get caught up in small things. Now, I haven't found one yet, but often there's a typo that I miss um, in the service folder. And so I can easily get distracted by that to a point where all of these things combined end up being what I think about during worship instead of thinking about the primary thing that I'm supposed to be doing as your pastor and that we are supposed to be doing as the people of God, the hearing of God's word in its truth and purity. And so for those days, I apologize when that happens. But it's not just on a pastoral level that that happens. It can happen to us as individuals too. Slowly over time, bit by bit, we can become distracted with this misplaced seal. We show up to worship a few minutes late, a couple Sundays in a row, and soon that turns into not coming for a couple Sundays in a row. We become distracted. 
uh, we show up to church a few minutes late. And when we do that, we don't have time to prepare our hearts in the way that we should. So all of a sudden, when we are confessing our sins and we are praying, you you allow your mind to wander to a point where you stop confessing and praying at all, and all your mind does is wander. It happens when you show up to church and see friends, and pretty soon that turns into showing up to church just to see friends. And all of this, all of this leads to this misplaced zeal and a complete sense of distraction from the one thing, the one reason why we gather together here on a Sunday morning. And when that does happen, Jesus comes and he cleans house. And more specifically, he comes and cleans the the house of our heart through some rather pointed statements. How dare you turn my father's house into a place that's only concerned with metrics? How dare you turn my father's house into your personal social club? How dare you turn my father's house into a place of relaxation? How dare you turn my father's house into a place where I can just unplug and let my mind wander and not think about anything for an hour? That's striking. And when Jesus comes and he cleans house in our hearts, we're tempted to ask like the Jews did, what authority do you have to do something like that? And Jesus, he points us to the same thing he pointed those Jews to. He points them to the resurrection. Because it's in his resurrection that Jesus' death and all of the work that he did is not only uh, validated, but it proves him to be the Son of God who has authority to come and do whatever he wants and say whatever he wants to. But I think here the more pertinent question that we need to ask is why. Why does Jesus come and clean the, the house of our heart? Why does he come and attack our misplaced zeal? Because 2,000 years later, he is still consumed with that same zeal for his father's house. And because he is so consumed with zeal for his father's house, it means that he is consumed with zeal for each and every one of your souls. I mean, this is ultimately why Jesus does what he does in the temple. The temple had become a marketplace, not a place of worship. And all of these souls who showed up for the, the worship of Passover They were just concerned about buying the right 100% grade A certified sacrifice ready animal, not in sacrificing that animal for the forgiveness of sin. So Jesus comes and he literally overturns tables and tries to return the temple to its primary function and purpose, a place where people are drawn near to God. And that same zeal, that same zeal that Jesus had over the temple, he is consumed with that same zeal for his father's house here in Huntersville. He is so devoured by this passion for what his church is supposed to be that he desires this be a place whose primary function is the preaching and teaching of the word of God and its truth and purity. He desires that this be a place where sinners come and are convicted by the words that we just read in Exodus chapter 20, by those 10 commandments, and they're led to their knees in repentance and recognition that we are a people who can't do anything to fix our problem. But he's not just zealous for the law. He's zealous that this be a place where a message of the foolishness of the cross, what the Apostle Paul talked about in our first reading, or second reading, is preached. He wants this to be a place where the the message of the cross, the empty cross, is front and center every single week because it's this message of the empty cross that tells people who are convicted of their sin, your sin is paid for. It's this message of the empty cross that tells you that the death that you deserve to die in hell because of your sin is completely and totally abolished. That message of the empty cross is the message that tells you that there is a resurrection from the dead that is waiting for each and every one of you. 
Jesus is so zealous for his father's house in Huntersville that he desires this be a place where his true body and true blood is given and offered for the forgiveness of sins and salvation and eternal life. This is what your Savior, this is what Jesus wants Huntersville Lutheran to be. He wants us to be a place where the message of Christ crucified and risen from the dead is the thing that we do, is the thing that you hear. Because here's the reality. If, you're looking, if you come to church looking for self-help or entertainment or improvement and trying to find improvement in some area of your life, you're not going to get it here. If you really want that, go to Barnes & Noble in Birkdale and you'll find seven rows of those kind of books. Because good advice, good advice is plentiful in this world. But good news, good news is a very rare gift. And good news is Christ crucified and risen from the dead. That good news tells you the story of how your Savior lived for you and died for you and rose for you. That good news is the account of how God saved you from your sins and how he made you right with him. And this is what Jesus desires that our primary focus is at Huntersville Lutheran Church to be this message of good news, Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Jesus is so zealous for this and he's so zealous for you that he loved you enough to go to the cross and die for you. He is so zealous for you and loves your soul so much that he wants an intimate relationship with you. And the way that you have an intimate relationship with your Savior is not by following the 10 steps to becoming a better Christian. It's not by going out and doing a whole bunch of good stuff for your neighbor or for your wife or your spouse. It's not by going out and just simply not doing the things that the Ten Commandments prohibit you from doing. The way in which you have an intimate relationship with your Savior is through the Word. The Word, the Gospel, the good news of Christ crucified and risen from the dead is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to solidify a faith in your heart that not only trusts in Jesus as your Savior, but also, but also brings you into an intimate relationship with Him and with His Father. This is what Huntersville Lutheran is supposed to be about. This is the primary focus because it is the Word of God, the glad hearing and learning of the Word of God that grows and grows and grows your faith. It is that glad hearing and learning, the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God in its truth and purity that not only fills you and consumes you with a zeal to hear more of the Word of God, but it also fills you with a zeal or consumes you with a zeal to live the kind of life that Jesus calls you to live, this set-apart life. I mean, do you get it now? Do you get why Jesus is so zealous for his Father's house? Do you get why the Word of God needs to be the primary focus of this church? Why it is the first part of our mission statement connecting Christ? Because it is the way, the Word of God is the way, that your eternity is altered, that your life is changed. And it is through the word of God that forgiveness is preached, that salvation is proclaimed, and that all of you are weekly and even daily brought into the presence of the one true God. What a beautiful thing that is. Now, all of the other stuff that I've mentioned, the metrics of church, the business side of church, the finances and the facilities and the relationships and the people, those are all important. And they all have their place in church in the life of the church. In fact, they are all an outgrowth of the very thing that is preached here on a Sunday morning, the gospel, the good news. In fact, one of the, my favorite things as a pastor is 
after worship when I stand back there, and of course I talk to some of you, one of my favorite things is to stand back there and to watch conversations between people who didn't know each other two weeks ago, but all of a sudden are talking for 20 minutes and making plans to go out to lunch or to dinner sometime later on in that week. And the whole reason that those relationships exist is why? It's because of the gospel. It's because those people, all of you, were gathered here on a Sunday morning to be fed by the word of God, to have your faith grown by the good news of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And that relationship is an outgrowth of the beauty of the gospel. It is a relationship that will, blo- that will bud and flourish in light of the gospel. Everything else that I mentioned is important, but let us never have the, the ancillary things that we do, even the biggest blessings that we have, eclipse the primary function of church, the primary function of why we exist, to bring the message of Christ crucified and risen from the dead to your hearts and to those who are not even here yet. Jesus, you are the Lord of the church and you are constantly bringing people here to come into connection with your word. We ask that you would fill us all with a zeal, the same zeal that consumes you. Have that zeal for your word and what your church is supposed to be about. Fill each one of our hearts so that through it, through your word, we are brought close to you and even closer to our resurrection from the dead. God grant that all in your name, Jesus. Amen.